Good morning. This morning's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 2, if you would turn there with me. Matthew chapter 2. And if you would stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. You may be seated. Thank you, Sean. Well, good morning, Reliance. It is an absolute delight. I love singing with you, even in, when it's not Christmas season, but even more so. Recognizing the hope that we have in Christ. Um, just normally, Tri-Cities doesn't have a white Christmas, and we're pr- projected, at least, to look like we might have one this year. From my family to your family, Merry Christmas. Trust that... Um, that your hope um, in Christ would be one that is filled with joy. That is the aim of our focus this morning, is considering the candle of joy. I pray that you would pray with me that indeed Christ would be our ultimate joy, ultimate treasure. Let's pray. Lord, it is Christmas season. We don't have to go very far before we're reminded of that regularly. In the midst of a world that has yet to bow the knee to the Messiah, promised one of Israel, King of Israel, King to come the whole world. Lord, there are many who wander into and through this season and forget or are unaware that the Messiah is declared in the word Christmas. Lord, I pray that as the weeks go by, Lord, I pray that our hearts would not forget to contemplate the great grace that we have in Christ. 
The joy that we have in our own fellowship is because of Christ. And that while we were sinners, the compassion, the love, the grace of God was demonstrated before us in Christ Jesus. And the means by which we receive the salvation which has been given to us by your will, not by our will, the standard by which you set before us is to respond in faith. Lord, I pray that and we long that our faith would be genuine. Not an intellectual understanding, but a genuine resting in the promises of God so that we might bear fruit even in this season that would honor and glorify you and that our hearts would be a sacrifice, uh, uh, an offering that would be pleasing to you, Lord. And so, Lord, as we reflect on the candle of joy this morning, Lord, I pray that you would stir these things in our own hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. If you allow me, I was thinking this last week about the different candles that are set before us every week. We got hope, peace, joy, and love. At times, and I probably have done this, we tend to call them the Advent themes. As I have reflected even more on it, I think that is inappropriate. For the themes of Advent are really genuinely affections, in which they hint at genuine affections that we all desperately want to be satisfied within our own being. Why? Because God made us this way. In fact, when hope isn't realized in something that is concrete, which will last for all eternity, when that object of hope is misplaced, when that object is gone and done away with, we find ourselves in the position of being hopeless. We were created within all God's creation to be at peace with God in that we ought to be in relationship with God. Humanity, being sinners, have historically always tried to find peace in other ways rather than having peace with God. And so sometimes we reconcile or exchange the relationship we want to have with God for other relationships commonly found in our families. And so we strive to satisfy this deep affection within our families and we play an inappropriate weight upon our families. And the reality is, is that we don't have to look very far and there's not peace in our families. Joy. But one object in which we don't have to look far or affection we don't have to look for far in our own world. America, the pursuit of happiness is embedded within our culture. The reality is, is that what we see on Advent are not themes, but deep affections which we are trying to satisfy within our life, which are ultimately meant to be satisfied with God and God alone. For example, as we turn our attention to the candle, and it, we have been designed as human beings to worship that which brings us joy. This is how we've been wired. This is how we've been created. And that which you perceive to give you joy, you will go to great lengths and sacrifices to satisfy that longing within you. You don't have to look far. The father asked me, what do I do? My three-year-old can't be happy without the tablet. 
my head. I'm thinking you'd take it. <laughs> but the reality is, is that there was a fear from taking the tablet because it gave the child that which it was craving for deep within. And I could, we all admit it's not just the child who has this deep craving within them to find a joy that's provided to them through something. We ourselves as human beings, as we even grow throughout our childhood into adulthood, we will worship that which we perceive to give us joy. And we will go at great lengths, whether it be giving up of our time, of our resources, of our energy, so as to gain that which we perceive to give us joy. What's my point? My point, whether it be hope, whether it be peace, whether it be joy, whether it be love, all those deep cravings within us can only be satisfied by the one who has been given to us or who is able to, to fill it. For example, we know that this is God. Romans 15.13 demonstrates why the cravings within humanity are never satisfied, if not found in God Himself. Paul's prayer, in light of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. In light of Christ, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy. Peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not looking at things. We're looking at affections in which God has placed within us to be ultimately satisfied only in Him. That's what Advent's talking about. That's what Christmas is trying to remind us about. The things which we desire, the things which we treasure, if they're not fully realized in God, we will always lack and wonder. Who will fill it up? We looked at, a, in this reading this morning, a very familiar passage. But in this story, you will read three different treasures in which three individuals or three different perspectives were given towards what they perceived would give them ultimate joy. And whether they had it or they were trying to arrive at it, each of the different perspectives were willing to sacrifice at great lengths to get it. They were willing to get, sacrifice even some principles to gain it. Because joy is incredibly a powerful motivator. Why? Because you worship that which you believe gives you joy. And here, what I want to do with this Christmas season coming before us, I just want to look at the treasure of Herod. He believed that which would bring him joy was power. The religious leaders, that'll be our second point, they believed that the treasure which they would be satisfied and give them the greatest joy would be the religious influences that they have had in their position. And finally, the Magi are the rare character or the rare individual within the story in which are not Jewish, but rather Gentiles, without the law, without the promises, who come from a foreign land, and they come to treasure that which is their treasure. 
And clearly, they're put in opposition to the previous perspectives, but I want to walk with them, with you through them, and ask ourselves and remind ourselves, and maybe even test our own affections before we come to the table. Is that which we worship being ultimately satisfied in God, the treasure of Herod? This familiar story, read with me, Matthew 2, chapter chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. The scenario unfolds rather quickly. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. They stand out. They're not from here. As a result of this, look at verse 2. They may, I don't know, maybe they're being naive. Typically, it's not a good idea to go into somebody else's kingdom where there's a king and ask this question. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Because already Jerusalem has its king, which is Herod. And as they wander into the city, they announce and ask with their question, where's the one who has been born king, not the one who is king? And the moment they hear about this, well, the moment, let me consider the reason why they're there presently is for we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. The testimony of this question is going to come before Herod, and you're going to see immediately the issue of Herod the king and what he treasured in verse 3 when Herod the king heard this. Notice. They didn't make their pronouncement, their, their question made necessarily to Herod the king. They're just going throughout the city asking, where is he? The one that is born king. We have seen his star. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. This is a uh, one way to translate the term. The idea is, is that he was tormented. If you know the history of Herod the Great, Herod the Great who is king of Jerusalem, is an interesting figure, to say the least. He is, by the Jewish perspective, half Jew. Rome had a problem with Israel. The problem that Rome had with Israel was that Israel wouldn't honor Rome. And every Gentile that they put in charge over Israel, the Jews would not submit to because he's Gentile. And every Gentile who attempted to rule over Jerusalem saw no need for the temple, which was deeply embedded within Israel's history and religious response to God himself. Herod was unique because he was half Jew. And Rome, trying to figure out how to put someone in charge of Rome to keep peace within the region, found this interesting man named Herod. Now, Herod wasn't always king. He was one who became king, and he knew it. He was once not a king and became a king because Rome had appointed him king of Jerusalem. And history goes on to say he was the most paranoid man within the power of Israel. He was interesting. He knew how to satisfy the affections of Rome while also appealing to some affection within Jerusalem. So knowing what Jews want, he gave them what they wanted. And he built up the Temple Mount and resourced it unlike any ruler before him. And the Jews praised him for it. 
In fact, not only did he build up the, the, the Temple Mount, he established and elevated for the first time the Jewish priests into a ruling class. And so he had, by giving them what they wanted, had won their affections. And Jews loved it. But there was a side of Herod that they didn't like. Because while he was known for making temple for them, he made temples for Rome. Because he had to appease the affections of Rome and appease the Jews. And so he built two brilliant temples for Rome. And the Jews didn't like that. Why? Because there's only one God. And to build other temples for other gods. So they loved and hated him at the same time. They loved him because he gave him the Temple Mount. But then they loved him because now they have power. Religious influence within the community. And yet in midst of all this because of his love, his desire for power and influence. He was paranoid all the time. He has been known, he was known for killing numerous sons. The moment that he would hear of a son desiring his position as king over Jerusalem, done. He would eliminate him. He was known for killing several of his wives. This gives us a little context. When the Magi show up naively within Jerusalem and ask the question, where is this one who has been born king? Because Herod has a history of removing those who ask such questions. Oh, he killed his sons, he removed his wives, he had secret agents within the city, always ready to overthrow those which would question his rule. He was a paranoid man. He worshipped that which he thought would give him greatest pleasure, and the moment that the tablet, so to speak, was going to be taken away, you take away the individual who is going to remove that which he Believes will bring him joy. He has a history of doing this. Caesar Augustus himself, we have his writings. After arguing with Herod, said this, I'd rather be Herod's pig than his son. Because the man loved his power. Verse 3 now makes, in my sense, in my, in my understanding now, recognizes why he was I don't know if the word troubled is sufficient. It carries the idea he is lost his comforts. He is traumatized. There's another way you can translate. When Herod, verse 3, the king heard this, he was troubled. And not only this, everyone else. Who heard, maybe who talked to the Magi? Don't want to be found out by Herod, who is seeking out this one who has been born king. Look at what he does, verse 4. He gathers together all the chief priests, the scribes of the people, and he inquired of them, so where is this Messiah supposed to be born? Religious leaders, we're going to get back to them in a second. After giving his answer, getting his answers or questions answered, look at verse 7. He actually, after talking to the religious leaders, pulls the Magi 
into a secret meeting with him. Verse 7. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I may too come and worship him. You don't need to know all the background of Herod understand that when you read the story, even without his reputation of paranoia, that his request before the Magi is honorable. He's doing it in secret. He is manipulating their affection as opportunity to take that which he hopes to keep for himself, his power. For if the Jews have a new king, remove the new king and you maintain your position. Concludes in verse 2. Chapter 12, excuse me, verse 2, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 12, God himself intervenes. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, Magi left for their own country by another way. It's thick throughout the whole story within these 12 verses what Herod treasured. And when, when Herod doesn't get that which he wants. He will go to great lengths and sacrifice to ensure that the power that he believes will bring him joy or the influence that he believes brings him joy will remain. And so he turns his eyes to Bethlehem. It wasn't included in the reading this morning, Matthew 2, verse 16. Anticipating that the star stung in the head stood in the heavens for two years. Look what he does. That when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged, sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all of its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. The affection of joy is powerful. That which you believe will bring you joy. You will go, we will go, Herod will go at great lengths to keep that which he believes will bring him joy. And he'll sacrifice for it. His reputation, sure Bethlehem's not going to think highly of him. But he has to in order to keep that which he longs to have. Two, the treasure of the religious leaders. This is probably the most frustrating of the whole story. For the king which was promised to them was familiar. The Old Testament in which God has revealed himself plainly. The Messiah will come. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. The Magi come, verse 2. We've seen his star. We come to find out how long has the star been there? Two years. And then when, when the king asks the religious leaders in verses 5 through 6, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? They respond without hesitant. They are quick to respond. They don't say to the king, Herod, 
Let us get back to you and look upon the scriptures to determine where the Messiah will be born. Rather, it's immediate, their response. They know clearly where the Messiah was promised to be born. Look with me, verse 5. After the king had asked, they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this, they can quote it, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And in you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. What keeps a people, the religious leaders, who know the promises of where the Messiah is going to be born, and then upon that a star which resides within the heavens that has been directing the way to the Magi. And upon hearing the Magi say, hey, we have come to worship him who is born king of Jerusalem. Now not only do they have the star which testifies of the coming of the Messiah, Two, not only do they have the testimony of the Magi who come announcing his arrival, and three, they know the scriptures testifying of all these places where the king was supposed to be born. Do you know how far it is of a walk to Bethlehem it is? It's five miles. And for five miles at your pace or my pace, whether we are running, some of us can get there quicker than others. But if we were to merely walk from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, let's just say, and just for familiar sake, it's downhill. It would take us less than an hour to get there at a good walking speed. Well, maybe two hours for some. And yet for two years they saw the star, the testimony of scriptures, and they are unwilling to go worship that which has been promised to them fascinating. You will, we will worship that which we believe will bring us great joy. And the joy that which they had been promised in the Messiah has now been replaced by a king named Herod who has given them what they had desired. And when the arrival of the Messiah came, they pushed it aside for the one who was ultimately before them. And fearful of what he might do for those who reject him. The challenge is, is this child grows in age. He rebukes in his ministry the religious leaders for the love of which they have positioned themselves. Towards the end of Jesus' ministry, he, so to speak, loses it with the religious leaders. Matthew 23, that's the passage I would say, if you ever want to see a scene where Jesus has, has his patience ran out, it's Matthew 23. After they have rejected the king of Jerusalem when he has come to Jerusalem. Chapter 23, 2 through 3, Jesus turns to the crowds and he points his finger at the religious leaders. The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, they rightly tell you. Like they know the scriptures, they know where the king was to be born, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. 
And you will go on to continue in verse 6 through 7. They love the place of honor, banquets, the chief seats in the synagogues, and respectful greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by men. You will worship that which you perceive will bring you great joy. And what I find interesting that the ancient, well, 2,000-year-old story, the things which they perceived as which would satisfy their joy still are deep cravings that are found within their own society today. Our children fear once they get influence of losing it. You and I, once gaining influence and seats around certain people of losing them. Jesus critiques their affection for which they found themselves hoping in. And here he is standing, I'm the one. And they're willing ultimately to do exactly what Herod did. Herod when that which was testing or tempting to take away the thing that which he enjoyed, Herod killed all the children that were two and younger. When Jesus is coming onto the scene and threatening that which they have come to enjoy, they will be, the religious leaders, will be the ones who influence the crowds to say, crucify him. I think it's just humbling to acknowledge or to admit That which you worship is that which you find your greatest joy in. And you will go at great lengths to satisfy it. That's why the porn industry is so high. That which you believe will give you so much joy, you will sacrifice in order to satisfy its cravings. That is why the social platforms are so addicting. For there is a mirage of influence that can be gained on them at which you have to keep saying the certain things to stay in the group. That is why a coworker is troubled to do that which he knows is immoral from his boss's request. And the tension which he knows that God has said that this is wrong. And the moment there is this tension in which, what will you do? You will ultimately do that which you believe gives you greatest joy. Satisfying your boss's request or honoring God's standards. This is how we've been desired or designed and wired. We will ultimately satisfy that which we believe will bring us greatest joy. Three, the Magi. This is why I love the Gospel of Matthew. There is a series of events for four different chapters. Joseph, he has to trust in that which he cannot see. And even though he sees his wife to be pregnant, he has forced to trust in God who has revealed that I am the one who has put the child within the womb. In chapter 2, you have a, a group of men who are, by Jewish tradition, pagan. And all they see is a star. 
and they know what's up. That when the universe moves itself to point out something new and significant, these men come at a great length, and women probably, such a large group that when they get to Jerusalem, that these wise men and their families make such a commotion within the city that they are asking, where is he who is? Note, this is our third point. He who has been born king. Herod became king at the appointment of those who sit in Rome. The wise men, they come announcing or asking, where is he who is now established as king by his mere being born? The promised one in which the star has announced, which is unique with all creation. Find it interesting. If indeed the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, why did the star stop in Jerusalem? It's like five, five miles off. It's as if the Gospel of Matthew, as if God's grace is being beckoned upon King Herod and the religious leaders who are going to be made aware of why the star has been brought to their city to invite them to come to worship this toddler. And at the pronouncement of these wise men, it's this invitation to take a two-hour walk to worship the one who will change everything. What I love about this story is that you will see that which they treasure. And after having this special hearing with this one who'd been made king of Jerusalem, look what happens starting in verse 9. And after hearing the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them. That's crazy. Like stars don't move. This star moves. Right? We call this class A miracle. Right? When the waters of the Red Sea split, and there's dry land in the middle, and there's a wall of water on your right and a wall of water on your left, we call that a class A miracle. Yes, God can heal you from your cancer. But it's not a class A miracle. Maybe. I don't want to take that away from you if it's something that God has given you. But this is spectacular, nonetheless, my point. That when the stars of heaven are being moved by the God of heaven to announce the aware the presence of the child has been born, this one who's been promised, class A. The star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And look at their response. What do they treasure? Mind you, what you worship is that which you perceive to grieve you the greatest joy. And when the star stops, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Redundant, redundant, redundant. Like joy of the most position. Not like, we made it. No. We have come to worship the one we have come out to seek. And now we're, now he's behind the door and in anticipation, joy is filled up. They didn't have this when they came to King Herod, nor in Jerusalem. 
they have now come to the place in which they can have their joy most satisfied. Verse 11. After coming into the house, I saw the child. And with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. That term, the term worship, is a term used in Matthew sparingly. It's remember, like throughout this whole story, the issue has always been about worship. Matthew 2, verse 2, we have come to worship him. In fact, Matthew 2, 8, when Herod is trying to deceive the Magi, go search carefully for the child when you have found him. Report to me so that I too may come and worship him. The idea of worship and great joy are knitted together. And when they fell to the ground, when they found that which they were treasuring the most, they worshiped him. Stress this already. Matthew has used this and he uses this word sparingly. In fact, Jesus is himself tempted by Satan. And it's here where we learn that when the term worship is used, it's an expression of gratitude of one's complete dependence or submission toward, to, to a higher authority. And so when Satan tempts Jesus in Matthew 4, 8 through 9, again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus' response said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. If you continue to read the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, there are, there are moments and where people recognize who this child is as he grows, a leper runs to him and he falls down on his knees and he worships him. When Jesus was in the boat, Matthew chapter 14, and he calms the waters, the disciples are overly amazed. And after seeing what he can do, in Matthew 14, 33, those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. My point, the Magi know who he is. He is the one who can satisfy the ultimate craving within us through the affections of joy. For he is the one able to fill up that craving whether it be the hope, whether it be the peace, whether it be the joy, whether it be the love that we all crave. And they were willing to go to great lengths to express that conviction before what I find fascinating, a toddler. And look what they do. And after coming to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell to the ground and worshipped him. It's fitting what they do next. Then they opened their treasure. They presented to him 
gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The treasures of the world are nothing. And so let us give our treasure to that which is our treasure. Because you're ultimately the one who can satisfy these deepest cravings. It's Christmas. And the joy that which we all desire, like the craving, why we sin with our joy is because the craving is there, which God has placed there. But humanity, ever since the fall, have exchanged the one who can satisfy it with something else. The reason why the earth is filled with so much evil is because of that very fact. We will satisfy our deepest cravings of joy in something else other than God. And God sees that response towards Him as evil. For He is the only one that is able to satisfy the deepest cravings of our heart. We live in a world that is toying out, experimenting with that which will bring you ultimate joy. Yet you and I know that the waiting list for counselors has gone up exponentially. Why? Because that which this world has promised to give them joy is unable to give them that which they need. The joy which we can only be filled up with is only from this child. This is why I love Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope, if you don't know who that God is, and you have made that God yourself, you will ultimately or already know that you cannot even fill up your own expectations. You have been designed to be fully dependent upon the one who created you. And who is this child? Christ Jesus, whom the Magi came to worship. And Paul in Romans 15 stressed, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The deepest cravings of your heart can be only satisfied in Him. And if you know who Christ is, can I do one more passage? Because now we're going to turn our attention to the table. I do not believe I have this on the slides for you, so you'll just have to either turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Like, we think of these terms of joy as just affections that within us. But sometimes, really, the idea of joy is fixated before us, who is God. And when you know that which what's going to give you ultimate joy, you're willing to sacrifice everything to gain it. It's exactly what the Magi did. Well, that's going to be a long trip, two years. Two years of a journey to go worship a baby. Yet if you know who the baby is, it's nothing. Romans chapter 12, with this idea, author of Hebrew writes, I'll start in verse 1, 
Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Why would we do such thing? Why would be we willing to give up that which we believe can give us joy? Well, there's got to be something else that gives us joy that we ought to see. And so let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Jesus pursued that which would bring him joy. Who? For the joy sent before him endured the cross for your behalf. Despising its shame, you will sacrifice for that which will ultimately bring you joy. Realized in Christ, ultimately. And he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We were to continue consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Christmas, not the theme of joy, is an affection which our Creator took on Himself when He became child. And the joy that was set before Him was to redeem those who would receive Him. The reason why we come around the table is to simply echo what the Magi said long ago, We have come to worship Him. Worship Him presently in that He has atoned for our sins. It is a free gift of God that He has given to us as we have enjoyed it by faith that our sins are atoned for upon the cross. And in the hope of His return brings us joy that the same resurrection that He had will now become ours. And so we... Partake, partake of the table together, remembering that which has been promised to us in the present and in the future. Knowing the days, have had will, days ahead will be hard, just as it was for Christ. But we will sacrifice and go to great lengths, for we know that the promises which God has given to us, the joy to be satisfied in all of us, can be only satisfied by this child. I'd love to take in remembrance of that communion today with you. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we do have joy, not found in things that are mirage, but in the person of Christ Jesus. You have demonstrated your love towards us in Christ Jesus, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the Magi went to great lengths to express their affection and appreciation to the child. And Lord, I pray, as we even test ourselves as we take the communion today, Lord, we recognize that the table is for those who have responded in Christ, who have given an expression of their faith through baptism. Lord, I pray that you would test our affections even now as we consider, as we take the table together. Is there something we have treasured more than you? And Lord, let us confess our sins, knowing that you are the only one who can ultimately satisfy the deepest cravings of our heart, the hope, the peace, and the joy and love we desire comes only and ultimately from you. In Jesus' name, amen.
I'll receive the ushers.